The Beat Church, bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. All right, well, if you're new here, um, I'm Andy, I'm the pastor, and um, I'm going to try to get through today. I keep getting emotional today, so if I do, um, you have to bear with me, but um, praise God for that. Um, and uh, so um, it's, good to be, it's good to be here, man. I love pastoring this church. Um, I love uh, being with you guys, you know, I love doing life with you guys. You know, we got people in here that I know are serving and... Um, showing up at open mics and showing up uh, counseling people. I'm always running into somebody and they're like, oh, this person was just over helping me or this person was just encouraging me or this person, like, and it's just like a free-for-all of love, people caring for each other. And it's just amazing. It's, it is. It's awesome. And so it's a, it's a real privilege to be a part of that because I know a lot of churches that don't have that, even in church, uh, just to be a part of myself. So let's pray. We're going to get into the full armor of God here. And... Um, We're going to talk about the breastplate of righteousness today. So, um, Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, help us to understand this in a deeper way than we have in the past. uh, So we can really, as Paul prayed, Lord, that we would understand how deep and how wide, Lord, your love really is for us. Amen. Okay. Um, I'm going to try this. Okay, here we go. Ready. One, two, three, go. Okay. Uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. This is the foundational passage. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Not our might, but his might. Some of you are coming in today and you're like, I don't feel very strong. That's okay. He's strong. He's strong. And he's strong on our behalf. And so we can do that. Uh, and we can trust in him. I got a three-year-old that's almost four. And she'll say she needs something done. She says, well, I need dad because dad's big and strong. I'm like, okay, that's good. <laughs> so she wants me to come and help. God is big and strong. He's big and strong. You don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to do it on your own. Okay? You do not have to do it on your own. Okay? You have him. That's what he's there for. He's there to lift you up. He's there to help you in your parenting. He's there to help you in your marriage. He's there to help you in your finances. He's there to help you in your recovery. He's there to help you in your grief. He's there to help whatever you're going through. He's big and strong. He is able if you allow him to come into your life and to do that. But put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There is an actual spiritual battle. There is a scheme of the devil against your life, against you as a person, as an individual, against you as a Christian, and also, even if you're not a Christian, if you're here and somebody brought you, you're not a Christian, he has a scheme against you, because he doesn't just have a scheme against Christians, he has a a scheme against all of humanity, because we're made in God's image. And so he has had a problem with that from the beginning, and he is out to bring destruction in any way that he can. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil and heavenly places. We we're at war, not against a culture. It's not a culture war. It's a spiritual war. We are at battle against 
spiritual forces. And it's important to make that distinction as believers, I think, in our mind, because if we buy too heavily into, and I understand there's things in culture that, that are different than our view or our belief in a biblical standpoint, but if we buy too much into a culture war, we become at war with people. And we have actually been given a ministry of reconciliation. That is our position. We are to reconcile people to God and to call out for that. And so we do have a spiritual battle that we're in where we're trying to fight for the truth of God and we're trying to pray and we're trying to have a spiritual uh, battle against schemes of the enemy. But God died for people. He didn't die for good people. He died for you. He died for me. And if you've forgotten, you weren't a good person when he died for you. You were not amazing. You were a sinner in need of grace, same as I was, the same as I still am, and the same as you still are. And that's important because it gives us the heart and the empathy to look at others and say, man, you're just somebody that needs grace like me. And that's what he's called us in. That's the, that's the battle that we're in, Ephesians 6, 13 to 17. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand at your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And here's where this uh, message today comes from, a breastplate of righteousness in place. So there's a breastplate of righteousness. It's one of the armors that God's given us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 8. Let me skip to the next slide. It says, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. It's possible to fall asleep spiritually, mentally, emotionally. It's possible to do that. Uh, first Thess- and so we're in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 8. If you're up on slides, if you can find that, if it's up there. Um, we're having some issues, but you guys can follow along, pull it up in your Bibles if you need to. Uh, says, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us, let us be sober. Now look at this, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. Okay, the last passage that we just read said breastplate of righteousness, right? This says it's actually a breastplate of faith and love. Okay, so which one is it? Which one is it? Is it a breastplate of righteousness or is it a breastplate of faith and love? Well, let's look at those words. Righteousness actually comes from uh, this word uh, dikaios, and it means the state of him which is such as it ought to be. So this is what I want us to think about. When we think of righteousness, what we think about typically is that we think about being better than, right? I'm doing everything right. I'm righteous. Like, I'm doing everything right. I'm, I'm doing a better job at this than my neighbor or somebody else. I'm, I'm more trying to get me to sin. So I have faith. I, I do less sinning. Like, I'm more righteous. And so we put on this thing. And the world's trying to get me to sin. So I put on this kind of hard exterior. I'm going to push out against sin. And so I kind of harden myself against sin because I'm righteous. I'm, I'm a righteous person. I don't do that. You know, when I was growing up, they have a saying, you know, I don't uh, drink or chew or hang out with those that do. Right? Lips that touch wine will never touch mine. They used to say that. And so it's like, I'm more righteous. And it's kind of like putting on this hard exterior. And it's what, the, in the Bible, what the Pharisees did is that they put on this, this hard exterior as a protection against sin and against the world. And then Jesus comes in and just blows it up. And he's out there. He's like, he's at the party with people. They're saying, well, he's a drunkard. He's a glutton. He's got all these issues. Why? Because he wasn't wearing his breastplate of righteousness. He wasn't being strong and, and hard and, and against people. He wasn't standing for 
But this other passage translates it as a breastplate of faith and love. So which one is it? Well, first we have to redefine our idea of righteousness and what it actually means. And so this word actually tells us that. It's the state of someone being in the way that they ought to be. That's actually what it means. It means that you are as you ought to be. So like this table right now is as it ought to be. If I tip it over and throw it on the ground, it's not as it ought to be. And then what happens? I can't use it. It's not functional in the way that it's supposed to be functional. It doesn't do what it was made to do. Why? Because it's thrown over on its side. Or if I break the top off and throw the top over there and I push the bottom over there, it's no longer as it ought to be. It's just a broken table. So right now, it is actually functioning as it ought to be. This is how it was made to be. Okay, so as humans, as a man or a woman, what is the state that you ought to be? That's the question. Because that is righteousness. What are you supposed to be like? Not what are you like? What are you supposed to be like? What were you made for? What were you designed for? Well, Genesis 1:28, we're going to go to the beginning because that's where you find out how something was supposed to be. Right? It's like that's the way that it actually started. You know, if you want to restore an old car, right? What do you have to do? You have to look at what did it originally look like. Okay, this is how it looked. Oh, okay, so I got to do that. I got to get these new lights. I got to polish this part out. I got to get this rust out. I got to get it back to how it ought to be. That's how it's supposed to look. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to Genesis. What did man look like and woman look like before we got beat up, rusted out, and have headlights falling off? Like, what do we actually look like? Right? For all of our seats were covered in stains and food and stuff spilled on the floor of our life. What is it supposed to be? Before we're driving quietly down the street and some maniac from the side comes by and just slams into the side of our vehicle and smashes us up and damages our life and our emotions and our heart. And now we're just driving around an old junker. We can barely keep it on the road. What was it supposed to be like? Well, Genesis 1.28 tells us, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So let's look at that. God blessed. That's how we ought to be. We ought to be living a life that is God-blessed. Not cursed by sin. Not like trying to just grasp for God's approval. Not that we're just trying to hopefully get there, but God-blessed. Like actually our life is marked by and touched by the blessing of God. That it shows his favor, that it shows his love, that it shows his care. That he actually is pouring out his blessing on me. Like it's received. I'm walking in it. I'm, it's in my relationships. It's in my mental health. It's in my emotional health. It's in my body. It's, I'm living a God-blessed life. It's how we ought to be. Now, some of you are like, oh, I don't feel that way. My life's not that way. That might be the case. But we're talking about how it ought to be. How God designed us, what his plan was, what his purpose was. It says to be fruitful. Okay, we're designed to be, we ought to be fruitful. Well, when a tree grows and it bears fruit, who eats the fruit? Not the tree. So the implication is that we're supposed to be people that are producing something for the benefit of someone else. We're supposed to be fruitful. We're supposed to produce. We're supposed to put something out that benefits you know, Jacob, and uh, I don't know if, uh, I didn't see if Matt was here today, but Jacob's here. They put on an open mic night Friday. And it gave people an opportunity to come and to have fellowship and to connect and for people to be able to express 
the gift that God's put in him and some people to get healing and some people to overcome some fear, some people to come and build relationships they didn't have. There was one lady that came. She hasn't been out of her house in three years. Once COVID came, she was home and she never, she, she wouldn't leave. She showed up, still fully masked, everything. If you wear a mask, that's fine, but she showed up fully in that. She'd been in her house three years. No relationships, doesn't go anywhere, doesn't do anything. She came halfway through the night, she had her mask off and she was up singing. What? It was an opportunity. Why? Because they're being fruitful. They're producing something in their life that becomes a benefit to others. Right? And so that's how we ought to be. We ought to be fruitful. We ought to increase. When things are alive and doing well, they tend to multiply. Right? They, create good, they begin to create good things. They begin to uh, uh, produce into somebody else. And now I'm discipling this person. I'm helping them to know Jesus. I'm, I'm helping this broken family because my family's been restored. Now I'm helping them. And it begins to multiply. And so the idea is that we also increase. We, we create more because life creates more. We fill the earth. Far different than shrinking back and pulling out of it, we fill it. It's a total opposite. It's a complete opposite idea. Okay, and so as believers, as people that God has made, we're supposed to fill the earth. Fill the earth with what? Fill the earth with the glory of God. With gratitude and thanksgiving and praise and with his gifts and his abilities and his love and his joy. We're supposed to fill the earth with these things. You know, one of the mistakes I believe that, that the church made, that Christianity made, is that they spent a lot of years saying, whoa, entertainment's bad. We got to get out of that. Get out of music. You can't be in the movies. You can't do in plays. You can't do anything. Get out of it. What they do? That's not filling anything. It's pulling out, shrinking back, staying away. What if they had taken that same amount of energy and used it to fill the space? with things that encourage and add life and build confidence and, and to honor God, they would have had a huge impact. But instead of just pulling out, well, we're made to fill and to have confidence and to move forward. To subdue it means that we're not supposed to be ruled by the things of the world, but we're actually supposed to rule. That doesn't mean ruling another person, but it does mean not being ruled and overtaken by things of the world. Genesis 4, 7 says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And this is God talking to Cain, who's all upset and frustrated about life, and he didn't get things the way he wanted. Now he's mad at his brother, and he's got these things going on. He says, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you. But you must rule over it. Some of you in here, sin has you right now. Sin does not desire to have fun with you to entertain you, to just be a part of your life. Sin desires to have you. It desires to subdue you, to control you, to take you over, to have your emotions, to have your mind, to have your thoughts, to have your heart, to take over your relationships. And thing that starts out as, oh, we're just having fun, becomes a thing where it subdues you and takes you over. It desires to actually possess you, to hold on to you, to take over your life and to run your life. Your bitterness isn't there to soothe you or to make you feel better or better than the other person. It, it literally wants to have you. It wants to take over your emotions and your mind and shut you down and keep you from being fruitful, from living a God-blessed life, from having these other things, from, from filling the earth and being to shrink back and stay in your own home. Your addiction, it doesn't want to just like provide you some, some comfort and some ease from the pain or the anxiety that you're suffering. It wants to have you. It wants to take away your life and your family and your job. and your, it, really, it literally wants to, wants to have you. The things that we have in our life that are not from God literally want to take over. 
And he says, but it's not for that. It's for you to rule over it. That we're made to rule over, not be ruled by the things of this world. And that's the difference. Okay, so that is how things ought to be. That's righteousness. Righteousness is to live as we ought to be in this place with God. But what about the breastplate of faith and love? Well, here's faith and love. The word faith actually means we think of faith like it's just a, I have a belief or an idea for something that hasn't happened yet. That's, that's partly true, but it's not the fullness of the definition. Faith, belief, trust, confidence, fidelity, faithfulness. You know what? There's a lot of relational words in there. Trust requires someone to trust, right? Belief requires somebody saying something for me to believe that, revealing information. Confidence, to have confidence in someone. To fidelity, infidelity. We know if infidelity is that if I'm in a relationship and I'm in a covenant relationship with my spouse and then I decide, that, oh, do you know what? I'm gonna go do something else with someone else instead. I don't wanna be here. I'm gonna go run off and have an affair, do something. That's called infidelity. I've been unfaithful. Okay, and so, so there's actually a relational aspect of faith where it's like, I have confidence, I believe, I trust, and I'm committed. Relationally connected, I'm faithful. Okay, so this is the faithfulness, okay, and love, we all know what love is. It's that romantic feeling that you get when you're sitting at the movies and sharing popcorn and your hands touch at the same time. And then years later when you're married, that's actually a fight because I wanted that piece. You always take the last piece of popcorn. But at first, it's just sparks. And later, it's also sparks. It's just how it is. Things change. Okay? But we go through this. And, but love is that, that, in the Bible's terms, agape love, it's a benevolence. It's a kindness. It's a goodwill. It's an esteem. It's a putting somebody else in front of yourself. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's literally being willing to give yourself up for the benefit of someone else. It's this love. So if you put these things together... Okay, we're talking about this breastplate of righteousness, of faith, and of love is us living out a life that is as it ought to be. We're blessed, we're fruitful, we're increasing, we're filling spaces, not shrinking back in fear. We're subduing those things that would try to rule over us, and we're living in committed, loving, faithful Confident relationships with God and with others. And it's within this setting that there is a protection that is built around our life. There is a, a, an armor that's put on, it's put on around our life. So definition, putting that together, living in the relational and functional reality of who God made us to be. Both relational and functional relationally, I'm in this certain type of way that I was made to be, and I'm also functioning in that way. I'm like living this out and doing that. So what happened to it? Because if God designed us, he wasn't going to design us without covering, without protection. He wasn't going to design us and, and put us into the world without being, you know, just being totally vulnerable. Well, let's look at it. In Genesis 3, 6 through 10, and I don't have the whole verse up here, but the story is Adam and Eve eat of the fruit, the knowledge of good and evil, they turn away from God and God's way and they're gonna do things their own way. And what happens, the Bible says that they realize, they eat and then all of a sudden they realize they're like, whoa, like we're naked. Like they didn't even know. So obviously they were covered or clothed or you know, garmented, protected with something before that. 
But when they eat, all of a sudden, their eyes are open, they look at themselves and they go, whoa, wow, we are vulnerable. We are in a bad position. We are no longer protected. We are no longer covered. We are naked. We're afraid. Now we're ashamed. You know what? The way things ought to be, the trust, the faithfulness, the commitment to God, all these things just got removed and suddenly they're like, okay, now we're totally vulnerable. We've lost our righteousness. We've lost the way it ought to be. We've lost our connection to how God designed us. And now they're in that position. Romans 3, 21 to 23, what what did God do about it? Well, Jesus put it back on us. And this is what's important. If you're here and you're living your life, I feel exposed. I feel Jesus came to put it back, to put you back as you ought to be. The Bible says he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because it was already condemned. You're already a wreck. I was already a wreck. I still got bent fenders. I still get flat tires. Sometimes my heat doesn't work, and sometimes it works too well, if you know what I mean. And yet he came not to condemn, it was already condemned, but he came to save. He came to restore. He came to put things back. And so it tells us here in Romans 3, 21 to 23, it says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God, so God's righteousness, not ours, God's righteousness has been revealed as attested by the law and the prophets and his righteousness or this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. What do we have to do? We have to believe. We have to be willing to put our arms out and say, okay, dress me again. Put it on me. Fix me. Align me. Help me. Make it right. Take out what needs to be taken out. Put back what needs to be put back. Polish, fix, restore. I trust you. And we believe in what Christ has done for us. He says, there's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He offers it to everyone because we all need it. Every person. 1 Corinthians 1.30, but by by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He became our righteousness. Why? Because we couldn't do it. We could not put on a good enough covering to protect ourselves from the world and at the same time have the flexibility to love them. The only thing we are capable in ourselves is to try to put up a hard enough protection to keep ourselves from doing the bad that we don't want to do. But in building that, that construct, that, that hardness, it also kept us from doing the thing that we ought to do, which is to love. And it locked us on the other side, which again falls short because the Bible says to the one that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. So either way, we're either sinning because we're doing the bad things or we're sinning because we've hardened ourselves so much that we can no longer do the good thing. It's like a lose-lose. And so he had to come in and say, this is how you can do this. First, I'm going to do it for you, and then I'm going to do it in you, and then I'm going to do it through you. We have to allow him to do the process. But he comes, and he takes that role. It says, for in it, the righteousness of God, not our righteousness, but the righteousness of God, which is given to us freely. Freely. By his grace, he restores us to the way things ought to be. He gives us the ability to love people, and at the same time, to have a spirit working in us to resist the temptation and the sin of the world. To be in the world, but not of the world, as Jesus said. 
to be able to do that. And it says, for in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith is, as is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And so our righteousness now comes through faith, not just through effort, but it comes through faith, it comes through believing God, trusting God, walking with God, allowing him to work in our life. Allowing him to restore us, allowing him to help us forgive, allowing him to help us to fight addiction, allowing him to help us be comforted, allowing him to help us to serve or, or to give instead of being afraid and worrying, but to give and to help others in need. All these areas that he's given us to be grateful instead of to always look at the downside. We're supposed to fill and, and, and have this faith that's filling us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So he literally came out of heaven where everything is perfect and there is no problems and everything is beautiful and wonderful. And having done no sin, done no wrong, he came down into this world and he got into our mess. And he became a part of all of this chaos and took on all of this chaos on our behalf. So he could free us from it, so that he could let us out from it. We just did St. Patrick's Day. You know the story of St. Anybody know the actual story of St. Patrick's Day? So there's a guy who was actually uh, kidnapped over in Ireland, and he was put into uh, slavery, and he escaped. And then he went back as a missionary. He went back to the same place to be a missionary where he was enslaved, and he went back. He literally put himself back in a situation in order to bring people spiritual freedom. Well, this is what Jesus did. He came down and put himself and subjected himself to the punishment, to the sin, to the chaos of here, and took himself out of the way that he ought to be and where he was and came down here to help us get out of that, to get us back to where we ought to be. And to be able to live that out and to walk that out, Matthew 6, 33 but seek first his kingdom and what? His righteousness. It's not about being good enough on our own. It's about seeking God, knowing him, walking with him, being in relationship with him and allowing him to work in us to change our heart, to change our mind, not just our outward actions. But if we seek him, we seek his righteousness, all of these other things will be added to us. Well, what other things? All. All the other things. You want freedom from any anxiety? All these other things will be added. You want rest because you're weary? All these other things will be added. You want to know that you're taken care of, that you matter, that your life is significant? All these other things will be, will be, will be added to you. Specifically, he was talking about not worrying, even about what we'll eat or drink, what we'll wear, about taking care of our provisions, all these things. And he's like, you know what? Seek me and everything else is going to come in. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going I'm to prove that I'm faithful, that I'm committed. Why? Because I'm going to restore you to how it ought to be. And how it ought to be is that you're blessed by me, that you're fruitful, that your life matters, that you're significant, you make a difference in others' lives, that you fill the earth that you increase, that you rule over sin instead of sin ruling over you, like everything's gonna be added if you'll just come and receive my righteousness and walk in it. If you'll come and do that. Philippians 3, eight through nine, it says, 
More than that, I count all things lost compared to the surpassing excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish for what? That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness. So this breastplate of righteousness is not something that we build out on our own. This isn't something that is because we have hardened ourselves against the world. It isn't something because we've proven ourselves to have such great will and determination. It's something that we receive from God and begin to have his heart and begin to walk out. And it says, not a righteousness from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God on the basis of faith. Colossians 2, 6 through 10, therefore, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him. It's literally to walk in him, is to be encompassed, to be surrounded by, to be fully protected. Not just beside him, not just behind him, but in him. To literally have our whole life to be taken up in him. And then it says rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you are taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive. It's going back into spiritual warfare and being ruled over by other things. But it says no one will take you captive if what? If you're rooted in him and in his righteousness. And so this is more than just a, just a piece that we just put on and just try to wear. This is a piece that we actually, through faith, connect through in relationship. And we walk out with God. We walk out through Christ. And see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, which are based on human tradition and the spiritual forces of the world rather than on Christ. Colossians 2, 6 through 10, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And you have been made complete in Christ, complete, whole, restored. Back to what? As it ought to be. You've been put back together. You've made mistakes in the past. You've blown it. Do you know what? God restores. God puts back together. God brings things back as they ought to be. That's what Jesus came for. That's what he gave his life for. Whatever your sin is you have, it's the worst one ever. Oh, this is it. I did this. This is so terrible. And God can never. He literally was hanging on a cross and he's calling out, Father, forgive them. His heart is for you. His heart is to restore you. His heart is to bring life back to you, to make you again as you ought to be. Who is the, he is the head over every ruler and authority. Going back to Genesis 1.28, I just want to reread through that. It's God blessed because he blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful. That your life produces something of value to benefit and to help others in need. If you look at your life and say, I don't know if my life's adding any value. I don't know if my life is doing anything to, to help other people. I feel more like I'm taking or I'm destroying. I'm like, you know what? He's come to help you to be fruitful. He's come to add, help you add life. He's come in order to take what's in you and to heal it and to fix it and to restore it and to put it as it ought to be so you can become someone who is now bringing life. Increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it. In Genesis 4, 7, that you can rule over it. We just bow our heads. I just want you to think about this. If there's an area in your life and you're like, man, do you know what? I am just, I am trying to do it right. And I feel like I'm getting frustrated or angry or harder 
on my exterior, but my insides are still not there. That's not where God wants you to be. That's not where he wants you to be. He wants you to be able to live for him both as you ought to be and in faith and in love together. How is it possible? It is not possible in our own strength. It is only possible through him. It is only possible through him. As you think about that, there's an area in your life to say, Lord, I want to give this back to you. Lord, take this area and make it as it ought to be. Lord, I'm spending so much time trying to provide for my family and I'm worried and stressed all the time and I'm just trying to like do everything right. I'm trying to, and I just feel like, just give it back to him. Lord, I'm trying in my marriage and I'm just such a, it just doesn't work. I can't, Lord, I'm trying to forgive and I'm always angry. Whatever it might be, just give it back to him. Say, Lord, make me as I ought to be. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you're here today and you've never done that, man, the Bible says that all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Everyone has fallen out of the way they ought to be. You're like, Lord, I want to give my life to you. The Bible says that Jesus died for you to cover your sin, to pay for the price of it so that he could purchase you. Paul said he was purchased by the blood of Jesus. Why? So that he can restore you. If that's you and you've never given your life to Jesus, like, I'm going to do that today. The only thing it takes is faith. That's it. You don't even have to put anything in the offering box. Just faith. That's all you got to do. That's you. Just raise your hand. I just want to see you, and I'll just pray. I just want to pray over you. I'm not going to make you come up or anything. I just want to know if you're here because I want to be able to identify you and pray for you. Father, I pray for each person here today, Lord. I pray right now that you will, God, help them, Lord, in their heart, Lord, to receive all that you've done for them. God, what a beautiful and glorious thing that we can come as we are, Lord, broken in our different issues, our different struggles, Lord, and that you are for us, not against us. God, you want to restore us. I pray that each person, Lord, be able to receive from you today, God, the area that you want to work in their life. Turn it over to you and begin to walk in it, Lord. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.